The world is ever changing and sometimes we just need a helping hand. Hey, it's one more about the Rama. New apps here, new tech there, it's all very exciting. But it's nice to have something you can count on. Like insurance from State Farm. ¿Tienes preguntas sobre tu seguro? Con State Farm puedes llamar a tu agente o conectar con ellos. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals? Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com Hello folks and welcome to another episode of the Custard TV podcast. Um, it's me with you today, Matt. Uh, Luke is um, about to embark on a week's holiday. So again, he's he's um, off for the next couple of podcasts. I know everyone will be uh, really upset about that. Joining me um, this week, we have uh, an old familiar voice to uh, regular listeners of the podcast. Uh, live from Virginia, it's uh, Mo Walker. How are you, Mo? I'm here. I'm ready to talk. Some jelly. <laughs> Mo's on the east coast for those unfamiliar and, and we've had a little bit of a, a less of a time difference recently haven't we we've been like four hours rather than the five but unfortunately recording this on Sunday and today our clocks have gone forward so you've had to uh, get up again at, at 9 a.m to be ready for us yeah well, well actually I get up after eight my time because mm. of course I have to walk my dogs and have yeah. to get warmed up you know we got a curtain call here and, and so I, I need to make sure I, I'm ready um <laughs> The curtain's up at nine. And joining us today, it's a, it's a new voice as well. Um, he has written uh, for us on the site a very uh, in-depth article about Cracker. We've got Nick Bartler. How are you, Nick? Uh, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm also struggling with the loss of an hour. So <laughs> Yeah, I am. I've, I'm so behind this morning and um, I think my alarm got confused. I'm not quite sure. But that hour, even though you get it back in, in October, November, don't you? You're just like, I, I'm down an hour. What's happened? We've also got a, a just a two-year-old who does, he doesn't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you want to introduce yourself to, to our listeners, Nick? Tell, tell them a bit about yourself. I am Nick. I, I work. I work in TV. I, I write. I mainly write for like um, a couple of a couple of websites online. I write for Slash Film, uh, Critical Popcorn, and Front Row Reviews, and a bunch of places um, for a while. And it's been it's been really nice working with uh, the Custom TV and actually getting to write down long form stuff about my favourite TV, which I'm really enjoying at the moment. Oh, well. And we haven't forced him to say that beforehand, have we, <laughs> in any way? This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. We are here to talk about four TV shows, two that are airing on Sky Atlantic. We have got uh, Peacemaker, 
uh, which is available now on Sky Atlantic and the entire series is on Now TV. We've got Winning Time, which is a new uh, drama about the LA Lakers uh, in the 1970s and 80s. That is on Sky Atlantic Pachinko, which is the new drama from uh, Apple TV+. And on uh, Gold, we have got a new comedy, Newick Newick. Now, when I um, asked uh, Mo to join us today, he had said that he's already watched uh, two of these uh, programmes. So he is very kindly uh, agreed to give me some context and to set up so if we start with uh, with Peacemaker, if you've seen Peacemaker, Peacemaker is not making peace. It's more <laughs> about war than peace. If you're not familiar with Peacemaker, it is a spinoff of the 2021 The Suicide Squad movie written and directed by James Gunn. And that, and that article, The, is really important because there was a previous Suicide Squad set in the same continuity as Peacemaker, but it is not overly reference other than a few characters the lead character is peacemaker christopher smith played by john cena it is part of dc cinematic dc comics cinematic universe so same as the Zack snyder films and 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 so forth the character of peacemaker is not an original character james gunn has certainly put his spin on this character and and built up the the mythology episode one of peacemaker starts five months after the events of the Suicide Squad, the nice thing about the first episode is that you get a Cliff Notes version of that film, which I think is very helpful to folks who are coming into this because the fans of John Cena, they didn't see the Suicide Squad. Chris Smith, John Cena's character, winds up in the hospital. He's been shot. He's had a building dropped on him. He gets the okay from his doctor to check out. And in Chris Smith's mind, you know, he's still a wanted man. So it's this hilarious scene in which, you know, he's thinking he's clandestinely checking out of the hospital, not realizing that a nurse is like keeping tabs on him and then reaches out to Argus to let them know that he's leaving. We're introduced to an Argus recruit. Now, Argus is an agency in uh, the D.C universe that handles metahuman and metahuman related threats and so forth. They're led by Amanda Waller, who is played by Viola Davis. We're introduced to Leota uh, Abadayu, who's played by Danielle Brooks and her wife, Kia. And they're kind of moving into, along with their dogs, cute dogs, by the way, into a, <laughs> mot- in, into a motel, you know, in his getaway vehicle of choice, which was a Prius. <laughs> and uh, silent but deadly. So he makes it home to his his trailer. He lives in the tra- he resides in the trailer park. This is where you see sort of like the, not to say the seedier side of superheroes, but more the low rent side of superheroes. He has to even break into his trailer in order to get in because he has he's been gone for for roughly five years. And so it's really pathetic, really sad when he gets in there. And you know he's checking his phone and he's got all these messages from his quote unquote B, uh, BFF vigilante. Peacemaker thinks he's just hanging out in his trailer, and then several Argus agents shows up. They inform Peacemaker that he's still under Argus's control. He's basically being constricted to deal with a new project called Butterfly, and he's told that, you know, if you don't obey our directive, there's a chip that Amanda Waller planted in your head, and then we can detonate that chip. So his hands are tied. He agrees. 
to have a mission debrief and so forth. Meantime, he goes to visit his father. He needs to pick up his sidekick, Eagly, <laughs> who is a pet eagle. Really charming scene in which, you know, Eagly wraps his wings around Chris Smith. His car, which, of course, is decked out, you know, the stars and stripes. Peacemaker shows up to this restaurant where he's going to meet Mern and the, re- and the rest of his group, you know, in his full costume. They're shocked because, you know, we're supposed to be a covert ops team. He's carrying a gun as well. So I'm not sure if this is an open carry state that this, this takes place in. We learn that Amanda Waller has a hidden agenda going on with this Project Butterfly. It involves Christopher Chance. And we also learn that Ebediu is also Amanda Waller's daughter. I myself hadn't seen the Suicide Squad. So that did give me... A bit of a recap. Um, I am aware, though, of James Gunn's style. I've seen the two Guardians films. Nick, um, you said you've seen The Suicide Squad. So were you looking? You were looking forward to this already. Is that correct? And what? Did yeah, you I mean, I would say that technically you don't need to have watched The Suicide Squad to enjoy mm. Peacemaker, but I think it really helps because there's a sort of a beat in the film of The Suicide Squad, which is repeated throughout Peacemaker. This moment where he's like. He kills someone he doesn't want to kill, basically, and he keeps it keeps it keeps har- like haunting him. But I love the Suicide Squad. It's like one of my favorite comic book films of recent years. Obviously, Suicide Squad is about sort of DC villains sort of teaming up for the greater good, sort of thing. I found his character in the Suicide, Suicide Squad like genuinely terrifying. <laughs> his catchphrase is that he will kill as many men, women, or children as it takes to like get peace. That's his that's his thing. And he's basically a psychopath. <laughs> and like I was when I heard they were making a Peacemaker TV show, I was a little bit sort of trepidatious because I was like, he's a horrible character. How are they going to rehabilitate him? And I think the TV show does a really good job, like quite early on, putting you in his head and like making you sort of maybe not sympathise with him immediately, but like you kind of identify with him quite quickly. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And of course, it's got that amazing opening title, mm. which we haven't spoken about yet. <laughs> no. Do you want to describe the opening title sequence, Nick? It's a choreographed dance sequence involving John Cena and pretty much the entire recurring cast just popping up and like busting some moves. They all do it with this, <laughs> with this like insane poker face, um, <laughs> which kind I believe of. The song is "Do You Want to Taste It?" is the name of the song. Yeah, by a band called Wigwam. I'm not a big heavy metal fan, but I really appreciated that all through the series. They the soundtrack is almost exclusively heavy metal. And it's like, it's sort of like, there's some of it that I re- is so catchy. Like that song in particular is stuck in my head forever now, I think. It's James Gunn, so there's a lot of his staples are there. Like there's a lot of mm. plot beats later in the series that are kind of almost just lifted from his other stuff. Like there's a big thing that reminds me of Slither. I think it was one of his first few films. It's, it's really dark, but it's uh, very reminiscent of that. His use of songs in the soundtrack is very obvious as well. Mm. I really enjoyed the whole series. And I think the supporting cast, I mean... Danielle Brooks, I know her mainly from Orange is the New Black. She played Tasty, who's like my favourite character in that in that show as well. And she's great. The first episode in particular is really good. And I love the fact they mention Operation Starfish from Suicide Squad and there's Operation Butterfly in this. And Peacemaker's like, yeah, I, as I recall, you guys aren't particularly creative with your, <laughs> with your names. But then he, he calls his pet eagle Eagly. <laughs> so yeah it's just yeah it's really well written and really funny and i suppose what you were saying mo about this being sort of like the american sort of stereotype isn't it with the uh trailer with the the stars and stripes the the eagle 
there's no filter there, I suppose, what we're saying about the character. I mean, he reminded me of of Drax in in Guardians, and and I think they set the 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 tone quite quickly, don't they? With there's that exchange between Peacemaker and and the janitor at the hospital, and you just get this sort of very sort of quick witted exchange between them, and I think it sets the tone, tells you, you know, this is going to be very tongue in cheek. From what you were both saying, you do get the characters you do start to sympathise with. I think the scene with him and his dad especially, you can see that he, part of his motivation is just to make his dad happy. And there's that scene between John Cena and Robert Patrick, which I felt was really almost like tender, where he keeps trying to say things to get a reaction from his dad. And it's only when he says something really sort of, and again, I think this is, is this a reference to uh, yeah. a scene from the Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, uh, Idris Elba's character getting his fear of rats, how his dad would torture him with rats, and that's why mm. he's scared. It's like, oh, my God, it's a horrific character detail, and it's the only time you see Robert Patrick's character laugh or smile. It's really horrible. <laughs> Over the course of this series, you definitely... It, it sympathise maybe a strong word. It, 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 yeah, in some true. context. It, but he does a really good job of humanising the character of Peacemaker, I think uh, John Cena, this is a great performance for him. You see this depth to him. You know, you have this fight sequence, you know, where this man is literally just wearing underwear. It's very naked, <laughs> to coin a better phrase. So I think he has a built-in audience. If, if you're a fan of John Cena, if you are a fan of comic book films and television shows and, and the genre as well. But I think that for someone not versed. You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tuda Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, Estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. In this world, I think there is something for you, but you know, you've got to get beyond the first episode. I think that's definitely me, Mo. I'm I'm not, as you probably know, averse in this in this world. I'm not massively into like for example you on your on your podcast is it geek confidential that's sort of the the topic isn't it really all these sort of programs yeah i don't know if there was enough here i mean i'm aware of john cena i you know i'm i am a self-confessed wrestling fan and i think this plays with his persona doesn't it a bit as sort of the white meat hero here you know he's quote-unquote peacemaker but he is very violent to the extent of almost being psychopathic you know, I did enjoy it. I thought he gave a good performance. I really liked um, the scene with him and Robert Patrick, the scene at the end, the fight scene. But I just don't think for me there was enough to continue. And I mean, both of you already watched the entire series, so <laughs> there's not much for me to ask. Will you continue? Because <laughs> you both watched it already. Have they announced the second season of this yet, Mo? Yes, James yeah. Gunn was on a podcast with uh, the site Deadline, and he mentioned that there is a second season in the works of, of this. The guys are both very, very high on this. And I think if you like that sort of style, that 
sort of tongue-in-cheek style and yeah i mean the, the tongue-in-cheekness is a good sort of entry point obviously because that's what james gunn's known for but it, there is a lot of depth to it as well i think as it goes on and like mm. I said uh john cena i mean it shouldn't be surprising because he's what is a wwe and, and, and wrestling and stuff that is basically performing uh, but he's so impressive in it and there's there's a moment where he just, just plays a little piece on the piano and it's just like weirdly moving it's really well done and yeah um uh chuck woody Iwuji is is amazing as well i think he's probably my standout in it there was sort of some really sort of big hallmark scenes that that hit for me but i've got so much uh, so much of a big list of shows to watch already i don't think this is going to quite make the list but if you want to check it out yourself tuesday nights on sky atlantic or it is all there to binge now on now tv now we come to uh, winning time which is also on sky atlantic i believe we're getting a double bill on monday is this hbo mo is that right Yes, that's correct. That's yeah. HBO. And it's HBO here in the States. This is around the rise of the um, LA Lakers in the 1980s. Now, Mo, is this sort of a, a story you were aware of ahead of the TV show? I mean, are you a basketball fan or? I am a fan of basketball, particularly college basketball, which makes it kind of ironic and interesting and smart that they, they released this show now because we're in the throes over here of what we call March Madness, NCAA basketball tournament. This era, I was a child, you know, when the, the sequence of events were occurring, you know, I was an infant and a child. I mean, I certainly was familiar with uh, Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but the specific sequence of events, I was not familiar with during the 80s and so forth but I, I learned bits and pieces of this the the basic building blocks are that jerry bus is this real estate tycoon am i right yeah and and you know he decides to purchase the team at the time the lakers were owned by jack king cook who owned other sports franchises during this time period a hockey team i would probably say i'd know probably a bit more about the fact that the lakers created this dynasty during the, the 80s time period their play was a bit more up-tempo than what they were used to and that celebrities started going to these games the story it tells i think jerry's vision isn't it as you said is it's for basketball in generally to be more prominent and people have a different view of basketball than they did i mean the big focus is on magic johnson who is sort of this big prospect jerry bus wants to draft him for the team even though there's sort of resistance from some of the other team members and some of the coaches. We spend a lot of time with Magic and his family in in sort of what part of the States is that, Mo? Sorry. He's from Lansing, Michigan. Basically, this the show starts in the spring of 1979. They've just had the NCAA championship. Magic Johnson's team, they had defeated Larry Bird, who was another prominent basketball player during the 80s time period. A lot of folks want Magic. The problem with with Magic Johnson is, is they consider him to be a bit of a showboat. There's concerns from the players about too many black players. When Larry Bird is referenced, particularly in this first episode, they talk about he has, you know, fair hair and he's a hardworking boy and it's code for he's white and he's, you know, because he's white, he's going to be good for the team and for for his franchise, which which ultimately ends up being the Boston Celtics that that picks him up. Jerry Buss, you know, he has an opposite view 
again, he likes the showboatness. He likes the up-tempo style that Magic Johnson plays. After the opening title credits, you know, you get this scene where Jerry Buss wakes up in the bed at Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion, and he starts breaking the fourth wall. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking (laughs) in Mm. this first episode, and he talks about equating sex and basketball and rhythmic motions of sex and basketball are the same and that it's helped him believe in God. You you get this info dump. I mean, like, yeah. it's exposition heavy in this first episode. And yeah, it's all ahead. about sort of, I suppose, what basketball was and what he wants basketball to become, I suppose, is the main thrust of it, isn't it? And and as we go on, we meet sort of more characters. We've got Jason Clark playing Jerry West, who's this retired star who's now the coach we've got gabby hoffman as claire rothman is she sort of the numbers person and she works around like the forum yeah so see she manages the forum initially she's about the numbers as we go into the second episode jerry bus wants to change her job description quite a bit here so those are sort of some of the characters we meet i mean we've got Jeannie, who is Jerry's daughter who goes to work under Claire. We do get a lot of fourth wall breaking from most of the characters. I mean, Nick, what did you think just generally of the of the style of this? Because that's something that I, I noticed right from the start with this. Yeah, I found it difficult to get into, to be honest. I know Adam, Adam McKay is like the executive producer on this, and he obviously did the big short where like... And he directed this first episode as well. All oh, right, OK, yeah, so... Yeah. There's obviously a lot of fourth wall breaking in the big short as well. Mm. I don't know. I mean, in terms of like brevity and like working out who everyone is, it's useful. But I, I, I found it sort of distanced it. It put me a bit of a remove for the first episode. Then I found myself a lot more engaged in the second episode. So I don't know if maybe it served its purpose. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan at first. Yeah, in the second episode, I got I was I, I was a lot more invested in it. And um, second episode directed by Jonah Hill. I did know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His film that he directed uh, mid nineties, I absolutely loved that. I, I don't know if I don't know if it's anything to do with the directors or if it's the fact that I had all that information from the first episode. If that makes sense, but I found the first episode a little bit difficult to get into. It was a little, just a little bit too irreverent, if that makes sense. I I totally agree with you, Nick, and I I'm a bit lukewarm on Adam McKay's style. You know, it all, almost feels like he's trying to explain things to the audience in almost quite a smug way. We also had like the change of the camera styles you know there was a filter on it at times there was a lot of different ways of it it was very just sort of frantic wasn't it there was loads of stuff and I think when it calmed down and it actually focused on the characters which it did more in the second episode we spent a lot of time with Magic Johnson back at home his relationship with his parents his ex-girlfriend and also spending time with uh, Jason Clark as Jerry West who has a lot of regrets, really struggles with putting the team together. There was a scene in it which really reminded me of Moneyball, which obviously Joan Hill uh, was in as well. I mean, Mo, did you have those issues as well with the with the style of it? No, no for the first episode, I really didn't. You know, I was used to Adam McKay's style. I think part of it is is because a lot of the individuals that you're introduced to in the first episode, a lot of them post the Showtime era are still invested in in the franchise. Jeannie Buss, she actually is president of the franchise now. You know, so so you learn different things, you know, when they bring up people. I'm trying to remember in my mind, are these people still alive? Are these people dead? I think 
that because someone like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he is this legend in the game. I'm I'm locked in. I know who he is. I'm familiar a bit with Jerry West because there's a lot that goes on with Jerry West and and the Lakers franchise and so forth moving forward. There's a lot of name dropping in here. And I think that if you're plugged in to the NBA, I think you get a lot more out of it. But I do think the first episode did serve its purpose. Now, I will say one of one of the things that there were a lot of character driven moments, particularly with Magic Johnson and his relationship with his father. He's a, he's a trash collector. Uh, Magic Johnson would go out with his father on trash runs at night and then he would go to a basketball court and play basketball. Those sequences for those who, who had issues with the exposition, when you have those kind of scenes and they kind of lock you in and helps propel the narrative going into the, the second episode essentially it slows down the tempo you focus on the two jerry's jerry bus jerry west and you know a large amount of magic johnson and magic johnson's family i really think that it it does lay the groundwork for you to kind of understand where magic johnson comes from particularly when you talk about his parents there's actually like themes that kind of carry over into pachinko about parents' dreams and so forth, you know, placing those dreams and so forth on their children. There's some similarities there. But I I definitely think if you can make it through the exposition-heavy first episode, you get into the second episode, and it delves more into the characters. I think you're locked in. Yeah, I would also say, like, I don't think it's necessarily an issue with the writing, because I, the structure of it, I really, I didn't have an issue with it. It was more to do with the style, like, like Matt said, like, the the constantly shifting, like, almost goes to almost like documentary style film and then natural and then looking at the camera sort of thing it just needed to be a little bit more relaxed a little bit more calm down sort of get some of it across yeah i agree with most of what you're saying there the writing was really good my favorite scene probably the whole both episodes was the bit with uh michael chiklis so i didn't even recognize at first as the right the rival uh, manager where he's talking to john c riley i will Red back. yeah yeah where they're at the club just sort of chatting and he and Jerry thinks it's going to be like a friendly chat and it's completely not that. I really like that scene a lot. There was just so many things that weren't being said. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm in agreement with Humo in those scenes where you see him with his parents, with his dad, uh, Magic Johnson's dad in the first episode when they're at the hotel room. And then the bit in the second episode where he's bought his mum this bathtub. She basically has a go at him for spending all his money on on something that she didn't really need. And then, like, when she's speaking to her friends, she's all full of praise. And you just get a, a sense of sort of where he's come from and how he was sort of like a big fish in a small pond. And then when we see him in that first episode, when he goes to that party and he has the game with his Norm Nixon, you know, I, I really sort of felt for him there. I think the performance from... Quincy Isaiah, who I, I don't know as an actor, but I thought he sort of showed tons of charisma here and put those vulnerabilities on the screen as well. That almost was the heart of the of the show for me, whereas a lot of the stuff, say, with John C. Riley, who gives quite a big performance as Jerry Buss. And I hope we get more of uh, Gabby Hoffman as well, because I thought she was very good in this sort of woman in a man's world almost and how a woman sort of has to work twice as hard i thought that was sort of a good angle to play there are a lot of great performances interesting like like uh norm nixon who is the point guard um and is concerned about magic johnson coming on board 
because his, he's worried about his playing time getting cut. The actor who portrays Norm Nixon, his name's Devon Nixon. He is uh, Norm Nixon's son. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Deck your home with Blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Plus free samples and free shipping. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high quality window treatments with no showroom mockups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off, plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, wow. (laughs) I think the introduction of Sally Field as Jerry Buss's mother, (laughs) Jesse Buss. That was a very Adam McKay scene, that was. Yeah, yeah, that was very much an Adam McKay scene. The central performances, I, I, I think uh, Jason Clark, you know, is Jerry West. The second episode really helps frame where he's coming from, his backstory from West Virginia and his childhood, and that he's essentially dealing with post-traumatic stress from losing six consecutive title matches against the Boston Celtics, which impacts how coaches the team and how he sees that Magic Johnson would fit in. But it also shows how much he loves not just the game of basketball, but the Lakers when he comes to the realization at the end of the, the second episode about you know his place in the team. And the actress uh, who plays Magic Johnson's mother, Lisa Gay uh, Hamilton, I can see her as this mother who wants to make sure that her son stays on the right track spiritually you know in terms of righteousness and 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 being god-fearing and constantly is berating him and making sure he's, he's staying on track but again we'll go to the folks at church and tell them and brag about all the things that you know like the hot tub and so forth <laughs> that he's buying for her that feels very real and it's those sort of genuine moments where i was like yeah i really like this but i i was sort of really it made me angry that i was so conflicted <laughs> over it because I loved sort of those character moments and 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 those performances. I, I thought Jason Clark was excellent as well. Um, and and as you say, like you get a lot of his story in the second episode. It's sort of almost him and Magic Johnson are the two focuses of that second episode. Nick, would you would you continue with this? Do you think or I I, I don't know to be honest. I think no, okay. if, if it was there, I might give I might watch it, but I, I don't think it's something I'd necessarily seek out. But I think no. that's, I don't know anything about <laughs> basketball really. I appreciated the writing and the performances, but I don't know if I if it's something I'd stick with. I'm the same as you, Nick, in terms of my 
knowledge of basketball but I think as Mo said they do do well in sort of setting up who everyone is like I knew the names of Magic Johnson Kareem Abdul-Jabbar I had no idea who Jerry Buss was as well interestingly I believe that Will Ferrell wanted to play Jerry Buss in this originally but that would have yeah. been a completely different show yeah no I, I think this will sort of maybe be towards the bottom of the list of things I need to catch up with but I think I, I think it's going to be one of those where if I hear a lot of people sort of praising it as one of the big shows of the year I may go back to it. I mean, for you, Mo, is this something that's on on your list? Are you going to be watching this weekly? Oh, yeah, I have been. You go through IMDb. I mean, the list of just guest stars in this show is insane. There's like a ton of characters they haven't even introduced yet, like supporting characters or background characters or whatever, who who are also celebrities. it's, It's really wild. So if you want to check that out for yourself, then that is going to be, as I said, Sky Atlantic uh, Monday nights or on Now TV. And also, um, I believe that there's going to be a Magic Johnson documentary on Apple TV Plus coming up as well. So obviously a lot of focus on Magic Johnson at the moment. I'm not quite sure why that is. (laughs) But um, yeah, moving across now to Apple TV Plus, we have got a um, as they seem to be uh, giving us something to talk about every week we had we crashed last week nick what sort of streaming services are you subscribed to currently netflix disney plus and amazon prime at the moment yeah <laughs> would you be tempted at all obviously we'll watch this on previews would apple be something that would tempt you because i'm finding at the moment well, we're finding at the moment you know me and luke that there's something coming every week we had we crashed last week uh last days of ptolemy gray which i really enjoyed uh, we've got one coming up next week slow horses with uh, gary oldman and Kristen scott thomas i mean would you be tempted at all to take apple on or is that just one too many it probably is one too many but at yeah. the same time i am i am tempted <laughs> yeah severance was excellent i luke as well singing the praises of that program i think with apple they're obviously because they're the new one in the market their sort of niche is these interesting shows from different creators and taking risks on a lot of of different shows and certainly in the in the um, case of Ted Lasso which is something I really enjoy it has paid off you know all the awards uh, that it's it's gotten and, and things like that Mo are you are you an Apple subscriber obviously we know that you you are a cord cutter so <laughs> <laughs> so so i am subscribed to apple um mm. i've i've been getting it free because i bought it purchased a new phone i'm trying to decide because my free trial period is almost up whether or not i want to continue and there ha- i've found this year in particular there's been a lot of great shows i'm just wondering if that's going to be a consistent thing it certainly looks like they're they're sort of pumping out at least one every two weeks if not one every week you know, if you go to the custardtv.com, Luke um, is constantly updating. He's coming soon. Uh, he's got a separate section for streaming sites, and Apple are sort of putting something out every week or announcing that they're that they're putting something out. And the films that they've produced as well is, I'm pretty sure they did uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth, didn't they? Mm. There's a lot of things on there that have, have got me re- really interested, but it's just yeah. a matter of taking the plunge. Whether yeah. Or not. And as you say, you have got a child as well. So obviously (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a safer bet. (laughs) Pachinko is an adaptation of a 2017 novel by Min Jin Lee. It sort of focuses on different generations of the same family. It's focused on a lady of the name of Sunja. Her mother we meet in Japanese-occupied Korea in the 1910s. 
she's had several miscarriages so as this sort of local like a healer i think uh to help her conceive a healthy child we sort of see sunja's childhood is a period where koreans lived in servitude to the japanese and punished if they spoke out against them we then counterbalance this with the story of sunja's grandson solomon who in 1989 is living in America. He works for a banking company. Uh, he requests that he get sent to Japan to uh, convince a, a Korean lady to sell her land so there's this hotel can be built. The first episode, which is where I've watched up to, it sort of ends with us seeing Sunja as a teenager who sort of catches the eye of a local businessman. Mo, I think you've watched episode two, and I think, Nick, you've watched the three that are going to be on um apple tv well are on apple tv now so what what what's your general thoughts about the series up to what you've seen is it something you've enjoyed i've i've loving it so far <laughs> it's beautifully shot like literally every single frame looks incredible yeah i think the cast is brilliant as well i think it feels strange comparing it to peacemaker but it has a similarly um sort of joyful title sequence <laughs> that I, I absolutely love so far i i think it's great i think the casting of sunja is that you know, there's three actresses playing her. there's the child actress there's the sort of teenage actress and, and then there's her as a as a sort of grandmother they look so similar and they're all three are just incredible the actress who plays her is in, in the sort of it's not the present day is it because i think it's like is it 1989 yeah 89 yeah yeah i think mm. uh she, who's who's the grandmother in minari and, and she's just one of my favourite actresses Oscar now. Oscar winner last year, was she? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think she definitely won the BAFTA, because I remember her BAFTA speech. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I'm fully on board with this one. And and what, Mo, what did you think to the structure of this? Because from what I understand of the book, it's very much linear, so we don't meet the grandson Solomon until the latter stages. But he, certainly in this first episode that I've seen is almost as prominent a character as Sunja. So did you think that worked, the interlinking of these these timelines? Was that something that, you you know, you enjoyed? Yeah, I, I thought it was a really smart way to, A, introduce and move the narrative along. We're essentially seeing uh, Sunja at, at these different stages of her life. You know, she's having these flashbacks or there's something that triggers her to kind of maybe think about things that happened back in the 1920s or so forth. And then we're, we're flashing back to that. And I think that it's this interesting counterbalance because as we learn more about, you know, whether it's the child version of Sunja or the young adult version of Sunja, we then see that information reflected in Solomon. And, and as I mentioned when we were talking about winning time, it is this sort of generational transference of the hopes and dreams of parents and grandparents. You know, we see how it's passed on and then carried on by Solomon. It's a very beautiful story. I didn't really know a lot about this period, if I'm honest, and about the Japanese occupation of, of Korea. It feels very much about like people who almost feel a little bit out of place. So I, I, I believe when it moves on, and I don't know if this is something that you've seen yet, Nick, that Sunja feels very out of place when she 
moves from Korea to Japan because that's when we where we see the character in the in the 1980s and actually Solomon's superiors in America believe he is Japanese his background is is Korean an interesting thing in this as well is the use of the subtitles that they sort of go from Korean to Japanese so they use different colors to notify that and how the characters sort of slip in and out in some there's a scene with Sunja and Solomon when they're in the kitchen and they seem to sort of slip into Korean and back into Japanese and is this something either of you are aware of like this period of time or I, I wasn't really but I, I understand what you mean it's like they everyone sort of feels a bit sort of displaced don't they mm. like the whole thing about when 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 you see Sunja as a child and when they, they have to sort of cast their eyes down when the Japanese sort of soldiers walk past I don't know it feels sort of really kind of oppressive and you sort of get you it gets you sort of feeling sort of apprehensive almost immediately and the fact that when the guy just talking out about the Japanese soldiers and he gets sort of beaten in the street and it's just, yeah, it's really sort of hard to watch. But yeah, I wasn't aware of that sort of period of history at all. The young actress who plays the childhood Asunya, Yu Na, I thought she was absolutely fantastic in this first episode, just seeing this really horrific thing through the eyes of a child. I think she captured that brilliantly. And, and seeing you mentioned Nick, really stuck with me where the the guy who's sort of spoken out against the Japanese is being beaten down while sort of singing this really I believe it's sort of like a patriotic uh, Korean song the one they were singing him and his friends were all singing together like the night before mm. isn't it or like whenever they whenever they met before I think it's a sort of like community sort of song like yeah it's it's kind of really horrible <laughs> I, I also love the the use of exposition like there's no Apart from like the dates that kind of and the locations that sort of flash up on the screen, the, the only indication you get that sort of that Yun Yuzhong is the same act is the same character as Yuna is the picture on the piano, and that's that's all all you really get. I really appreciated that as well. It's like it lets the audience sort of do a lot of the <laughs> the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah, which is good, you know, as as compared to Winning Time, which you mentioned, which was all exposition really. I, I mean, they did the same in. The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray with the Samuel Jackson drama that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they didn't sort of explain everything all at once and allowed you to, you know, make those connections yourself. And certainly in the in the earlier scenes, the sort of cinematography in, in that, you know, it's almost on the ground of like a epic, fi- you know, it's very filmic, I think, and, and very cinematic. Yeah, definitely. I think that the... the, the... The, the scene where Sinja goes fishing for, I can't remember what she gets, from she gets something off the rock and brings it back up, but that is just shot so beautifully. That's like framed perfectly. And again, when um, when you first meet, uh, I think it's called Han, Hansu, the guy who turns up later later in, uh, mm. in the episode where he's just sort of silhouetted against the against the sky standing on that bridge. It just looks so good. That's, that, that shot just is incredible. <laughs> it feels very cinematic. Uh, it's not cheap looks very different than other K-dramas I've watched. I was listening to a podcast where the showrunner uh, had mentioned, you know, how expensive this was. And you can see where the money went in terms of these these scenes, the shots. It, it looks like a big budget film. I, I love how much information that is given to viewers. The title card sequences, you know, that are in Korean, Japanese in English, I just love the fact that we use the different colors, the yellow for Korean and the blue for, for Japanese. It's it's a marvel to watch. I, I just can't say any more about it than that. So both going to stick with it then, I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. 
most most definitely. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how how it progresses. I think I will as well. I think a lot of people have been enthusiastic about it. I think for me, I think one of the detriments of this first episode is that I would have liked to have spent more time with Sunja. And I think a lot of it was was sort of establishing Solomon's part of the story. Yeah, but I think those scenes when you get Yoon Joon Young as 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 the older Sunja, she brings such a sort of heart to it and such a sort of wisdom, I think, to the character. She sort of leads those scenes. But I'm guessing we spend a lot more time um, with Sunja in her sort of childhood and teenage years, which I think will entice me to watch more. Um, so as we said, Apple TV Plus have got the first three episodes and then it is uh, weekly. There's eight episodes in total of that. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email. CustardTVReviews at gmail.com Finally, something completely different. Um, our only um, British offering of the week, Newick Newick, which is on uh, gold. Uh, it's a three-part comedy. It is going to be stripped uh, Monday to Wednesday. Uh, this is written by uh, a chap called Nathan Fode, who's an actor, a comedian. I believe he, reading an interview with him, uh, he got quite popular on sort of online. He posted a lot of stuff on Instagram Live that uh, went viral. This is sort of his experiences in growing up in uh, Newark, which is a town in Nottinghamshire, Fode's mother ran a chip shop, as does the character Maxine in the comedy. He's played by Morgana Robinson. She is a divorcee who's about to turn 40. She lives with her 16-year-old son, Leslie. The first episode starts with Leslie coming out to Maxine, only to be met with sort of complete disinterest. He then sort of goes on to try and tell his whole family about his sexuality at Maxine's 40th birthday barbecue. But they're more interested in sort of playing swing ball or about there being a lack of salad cream. Leslie's father, Terry, is also sort of desperate to reunite with Maxine. Maxine's mum, Pauline, is very keen for this to happen as she's worried that Maxine's going to be left permanently on the shelf. Now, Mo, we know you're sort of a bit of a, a of an Anglophile. We know you'll really like your British sitcoms. I remember um, when we asked for people's top 10 comedies, uh, you had As Time Goes By on there. I don't know why that stuck with me. So what <laughs> what, what were your your thoughts on, on Newick Newick? I was drawn because of Matthew Horn, because of Gavin and Stacey. That's what kind of drew me in when I'd I'd heard about Newark, Newark. And then, of course, you know, the Beverly Callard angle from Coronation Street. So so this was kind of priming me already. And I have to say that I just feel like it's not fully formed, at least until the last five to six minutes. I was somewhat disappointed with Matthew Horn's Terry that long hair just took me <laughs> totally out it's like they channeling some of the most absurd characters that were in Gavin and Stacy and just funneling They're almost like in. grotesques aren't they that's what yeah. I, was, I was thinking but I, I will say that the central relationship between Maxine and Leslie when it's focused on the two of them this works for me and when you get Maxine's co-worker slash bestie Amber and Maxine's relative Rudy and their whole dynamic, it just sort of takes me out 
of the show. I just want the focus just back really on Maxine and Leslie and just tone down Terry a bit. Beverly Callard's Pauline, to me, she feels like a much more vamped version of her character from Coronation Street, which which is perfectly fine. Because Ken Barlow would certainly be all over that. I mean, this version of, of her character. I just love <laughs> you talking. Sorry, Mo. I just love you talking about British soap operas. I don't know why it makes me laugh so much. Did you ever see two pints of lager and a packet of crisps? Because she plays. I have very, seen some. Yeah, I've seen some. I haven't seen all of it, well. but I've seen. Yeah. I completely agree with you, Mo. That's what I've got written down here. Is the best thing about the program is the relationship between Leslie and Maxine, and I think possibly because. Nathan Fode is right. He's obviously Leslie. That's his proxy about his relationship with his mum. I think you get that authenticity here. Whereas when you get the, as you mentioned, the bigger characters, Terry and and Pauline, it becomes a different program almost. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm largely in agreement with you guys. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not the hugest fan of Matthew Horn anyway, but like his character just seemed like too much too obvious like a loser if that makes sense like <laughs> yeah. it's not i've i watched all three episodes and I, there's not there's no heart to it that i can see you know mm-hmm. apart from like, as you said the relationship between maxine and uh leslie uh, morgana robinson is amazing in pretty much everything i've seen her in so she's brilliant <laughs> i've got a lot of time for her but like yeah the story itself didn't really do that much for me although to be fair i did also like the scenes with um Leslie and his friend uh, Amber. I like that mm. dynamic. It's quite, it's, it's quite sweet. But yeah, I, I don't think it's one that I'm going to stick with, to be honest. As you say, there's there's three episodes. Whether you know that they'll make any more. I mean, Gold historically has been the channel of of repeats, hasn't it? You know, they have tried to sort of branch out into original stuff. I I I I think though that this is very much as you say, about the scenes with Leslie with his friend and with Maxine, because Nathan is is writing that character from his perspective, I think possibly that's why it feels more genuine. And I think I, I agree with you, Nick, about Morgana Robinson. She doesn't get to lead things very much, does she? She often plays like the quirky yeah. supporting character. So there's there's one I think there's one sequence in I think episode two, episode three where like she does get to show off like her comedy chops like properly. I mean, I know her best from, she had her sketch show, on, I think, on Channel 4. Where yeah, she, I like that, where she played, like, Cheryl Cole and Danny yeah. Minogue, didn't she, and Adele and people. And she's just incredible. And obviously, she was on, she's, I think she's the reigning champion of Taskmaster. <laughs> <laughs> she was similarly brilliant. And you got to see kind of just how mad she is. And it feels like that she's really sort of reining it in. And it, it's not, I was like, I was like, come on, come on. <laughs> This isn't the Morgana that I sort of know and love, sort of thing. Mm. She's still great, but it's a, it's a very sort of muted performance from her, I thought, considering how outlandish she can be. So it almost feels like they've cast her in the lead to have a big name. And as you mentioned, Mo, you know, Matt Horn and Beverly Callard as well. You're putting faces in that people know, I believe, uh, Nina Wadia also pops up later on. You know, it's it's very middle of the road, not something that I particularly remember. Yeah, it d- definitely feels middle of the road. I can't help but think, but like, it feels like this is sort of a type of show that would have been commissioned, I don't know, back in the noughties. I don't know. They talk about Instagram and socials and so forth. So it, it's trying to be of the now, but the feeling, it just feels like an older show. And I know that my understanding is that gold, it is kind of these throwback comedies um mm. really one of the only things from gold that i i've 
I'm really familiar with in terms of their original program is the Tony Head Show, uh, You, Me, and Them. That was not gold. No, you've lost ago. me. I don't even know that one. <laughs> yeah, it was all years ago. And again, because to me, when I think of gold, I think of like... Oh, Anthony Head, from... sorry. You you know him as Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We call Anthony, yeah, Anthony Head. Yeah. You, 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 you're good friends with him, are you, mate? Yeah, yeah, we're mates. You know, I, I call up old Giles a fair amount of time and you know we hang out we we we, we talk about things but it, it, it probably is on brand for gold to me it just feels like it, it's just lacking a little something no no and i i agree with that my question as well was how maxine was able to afford so nice a house on like a chip shop wage as well but i don't know if that's something that you're meant to be thinking about <laughs> as much it's something different from the constant only fools and horses repeats that the gold uh, tends to have um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's the end of the show. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Mo, but do you want to just have a quick chat about Geek Confidential? Have you got anything coming up soon or? Yeah, we do have a, a, a new show out. That was a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the Batman, the film. If you want to hear like a lot of geek and, uh, and by geek, we mean like genre television certainly uh follow me and 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 my guy i uh, podcast with his name is luke as well over there at geek confidential i like that my luke not that luke the other, luke. The other yeah yeah Wait, but they're both my lukes you know <laughs> you know they're both my it's like it's like uh, we got the multiple jerry's on uh winning time you know I, yeah. <laughs> yeah and and where can people find that mo Apple Podcasts, usually on Facebook and Twitter, we, we do have a Facebook page, Twitter page. The Geek Confidential Luke will post links to the shows. He he also oversees editing and, and, and so forth for those shows. So like our Luke then. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And anything, uh, Nick, that you'd like to promote? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> People can follow you on Twitter where? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, I am I am IMD Bartlett on Twitter. Um, as in uh, IMDb, followed by my surname. It's a pun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and on the uh, Custard TV at the moment, we have got a review of the new series of Top Boy. And um, Hannah's written a very sort of long form piece about the West Wing. And if you haven't checked out uh, Luke's article about the royal family yet, as he mentioned on the last podcast, it went viral. On um, the Custard TV podcast, you can find us on Twitter, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Please rate, review and subscribe on there. We will be back next week with uh, reviews of a show I know uh, Mo really enjoyed that's finally coming to the UK. We've got Hacks coming over here, Mo. Yeah. Ooh, and they've been talking about the second uh, second season of Hacks. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so we're getting <laughs> that on We've got that on Prime Video over here. Um, as I mentioned as well, new Apple TV drama, Slow Horses. And a weird uh, new thing on the BBC is basically Gordon Ramsay's version of The Apprentice, which uh, is Gordon Ramsay's Future Food Stars, I believe, is the name of the show. So we'll be discussing that. If you'd like to follow uh, the site, that's at Luke Custard TV. Luke himself has also got at it's luke knowles i'm at matt's tv bites i don't think we did mo's twitter i i'm at dr mo 77 not a doctor just that i put that in there because we do that every time uh yes yeah, so uh, we'll be back uh, next week with more of the same thanks very much and goodbye rate and review us wherever you find us search the custard tv on youtube itunes and facebook 
Getting your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.